0: Jutsu Kaisen finally released its first feature feature-length film. And not only is it an excellent treat for longtime fans of the series, but it also is pretty solid, even if you've never seen the show before, apparently. Hello and welcome to episode 61 of Nerd Explosion. I'm your host, John Wintrobe. And after a month-long break, I'm here with my co-host Sean Clark. Due to us being so busy with everything going on in our lives from sports coverage and work and job searching and all that fun stuff we're finally back
1: yes it is good to be back uh this past february slash early march was one of the busiest times of my life i went uh me and other members of the rich went to uh, uh los angeles twice went to daytona for a whole week went to boise for a week a couple weeks ago but we're back and i'm excited to talk about a couple movies that I really enjoyed that came out this past month.
0: Yes, and we just watched uh Kaizen Kaisen 0 last night. Um and Jutsu Kaisen, for those that don't know, I have talked about it a little bit on the podcast with Matthew Kanyos a couple times um because we're both huge fans of the show, but it has the potential to be one of the best shonen action series ever made. Um between the amount of effort that's put into the animation the character work, um, the themes, and even how cool the power system is, even with how little explanation we get of uh, curses and curse users and um, jujutsu sorcerers in the film. Jutsu Kaisen is one of the more interesting and creative uh, power systems in anime because the whole thing with jujutsu sorcery is that like with any form of uh horror the more you're told about the thing the more powerful it grows because your own imagination is getting amplified by um what the power actually does so like when a jiu sorcerer says what their ability does it becomes stronger because your own imaginations fears and nightmares of what that ability can do is amplifying it tenfold
1: yeah the i really enjoyed uh the film it it was it was definitely not something I was used to seeing because, with you know, with My Hero Academia, with JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, it's very fun and fantastical while having its darker moments. But this is, but this goes a whole level deeper than that I, we literally have a scene. They don't outright show up. but we have a scene where a child gets her head crushed by a car. Yeah, and, and we also see, we also see, you know, scary monsters just just come out of people and it's kind of horrifying and i love it.
0: Yeah, Jujutsu Kaisen does not shy away from the blood and gore. Blood. Like ultimately this is a supernatural horror anime. It, I would say that um uh, it's on par with Demon Slayer when it comes to how dark it's willing to go. Um the only difference is the art direction by MAPPA Um, with Jujutsu Kaisen is just out of this world. With Ufoldable, like with Demons, where they usually have a lot of the animation be um, 3D backgrounds with the characters themselves being 2D animated, and while MAPPA goes for a 3D effect, the entirety of this movie is 2D animated.
1: Yeah, the film looked pretty great, honestly. really... We really got to see uh, the powers, the action, the characters really at the forefront. And while obviously it didn't really have a full 3D background, the the scenery still looked incredible, especially uh, when when you have the flashback scenes of uh, of Yuda and, and and his girlfriend uh, playing around. I just thought it was very colorful and vibrant, and that's. Hats off to MAPPA for that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, MAPPA's a huge tight in the anime industry right now. Aside from Jutsu Kaisen, they're also animating the current season of Attack on Titan, and they're set to adapt uh, Chainsaw Man, which is, after Jutsu Kaisen, probably the most um, anticipated, like, recent Shonen series ever. I would say that it's like, it's either second to Jujutsu Kaisen, the ones that are currently still being written, Demon Demon's is of course, ended already. But I think that the biggest thing that Jujutsu Kaisen has going for it is, as you mentioned, the characters. Um, for fans of the anime, they know how dark they're willing to go with the character work and how um, understandable the characters are. But this movie does a really good job of expanding upon the secondary cast from the show. We get a lot of time with Panda and Maki and Tobe uh, way more than we do in the anime, honestly, except with Panda may being the only exception because he does get a full fight scene to himself in the anime. But for the rest of the secondary cast, this is their first time really getting spotlight in the series. They appear and get their own action moments in the show, but they never really get this amount of character focus. And one of my favorite like small things in the movie was uh, Yuta and Maki's friendship because Maki is very closed off in both the show and in most of the movie so seeing her actually develop a like a friendship like a close friendship with someone and actually open up to another uh, character especially um, one that isn't of the same sex um, was exciting because that hasn't happened before um, in the anime.
1: Yes, I, I thought she was great. Uh, you know, it's obviously it's it's obviously a typical character who comes off very badass, but has a very broken and heartfelt core underneath because she uh has been treated like a failure within her very prominent and successful family. And that that's a burden and a feeling that she carries with her, but the fact that yuda kind of got through to her was probably one of the best scenes in the whole movie where where she talked to him about it and, and yuda encouraged her like i really enjoyed that it gave a lot of it gave a lot of substance to a story that you know obviously had a lot of monsters and death and all that
0: yeah um speaking of monsters what were your feelings on panda because he's usually the character that people are the most excited for <laughs> or, um, or or are weirded out the most by. So I'm curious what your thoughts were on him.
1: Uh, Panda was absolutely hilarious. Uh, he, but yes, he was... He kind of acted as the comic relief character, but it wasn't overdone. Uh, he obviously helped everybody bond during training, but also he was serious when he had to be. And he also was really the first one to kind of be welcoming for Yuda into the school, obviously. Toge uh kind of did as well, but obviously he has curt speech. he couldn't outright say it, but Panda was the first one to help Yuda be welcoming and I really I just enjoyed everything he said honestly, whether it was uplifting, whether it was serious, whether it was funny, whether it was making jokes. it's she, it, his natural his natural flow of what he said, just just worked incredibly well. And I I, I love uh, Matthew David Rudd's uh, voice portrayal of him because he just felt like a well-rounded character and had a lot of range, honestly. And he was awesome in in the short time we saw him fight. Yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> and yes, you do get to see Panda fight a lot more in the May too. So the little bit here was just a small tease of what you get in the show. I would say that Tobey is probably the character that we got, like, comparatively from the show to the movie. He's definitely the one that had the most amount of action sequences or, like, things to do. Because the issue with writing Tobey in the show is with how his voice works, uh, he usually is like an instant knockout character like most of his fights are spent getting him to not actually use his voice <laughs> because the second he talks the fight usually ends immediately after that and trying to work around that type of power set for a character can be really difficult i thought the movie did it really well
1: yes um one thing one thing i really one thing i really enjoyed about the film was how essentially okay because obviously i haven't seen uh the show myself and i really i really liked how i because going into I'm like okay am i going to enjoy this or, or am i going to feel like I'm, I'm missing out on stuff but luckily not because i understood uh jiu high very well i understood the power system very well and the more i think about it like yeah i Really want to watch the show now. I'm I'm invested in this world now.
0: Yeah, I think that the thing that the movie does really well is because Yuda um is completely new to the world of Jujutsu sorcery, we're experiencing everything through his eyes, which makes it really easy for someone that has not seen the show to just drop into the movie and be perfectly fine. There's still like small, like fan servicey things, like seeing Nanami fight or uh, seeing the Kyoto students like uh, Toto and Niwa and Saki um, that are still extremely fanservice-y. Or like getting to see Gojo have a full fight scene even though it isn't uh, super integral to the plot of the movie. Um, like there's still lots of these fanservice-y moments, but it never feels overdone and it never hurts the core story of the film because at the end of the day... Uh, the main struggle in the film is Yuta and his ability to control or bond with Rika being a cursed spirit um, tied to him and the similarities he has with our main villain um, as well. Um, Suguro Ghetto is a really fantastic villain in the manga. And I think that this movie is a really good, like solid introduction to him for fans of the series because in the anime, we've only gone a couple of scenes with him. He has like one scene where he walks into a cafe and kills all the humans there. Um, and then he has a couple more um, sitting on and showing on the beach with all the other main villains of the show. But we've never really gone to actually seen him in action until the movie. And the contrast between him and Yuta's uh, abilities, because both of their. Um, both the ways that they use uh, cursed energy are very similar because Yuta's um, cursed uh, cursed technique um, is that he can control other um, spirits, which is similar to Ghetto's. Uh, the only difference is that Ghetto eats them and like, can can like contain them in his body and release them at will. Um, while with Yuta, it seems that he can only really control one at a time for now, at least
1: yeah so, so so going off of of talking about um uh about Gajo um Gato G- Gato my apologies um I I'm very intrigued by him because obviously he's not dead no um even though it, it appeared that he did die in this show he he he's the kind of he's a kind of villain that you just want to know like okay he seems kind of friendly on the outside in some regards obviously he's extraordinarily racist which dear god but i really i'm really just interested in this guy because he seems like he has some soft features of him he it seems like he once was a very friendly guy what the heck happened for him to get put on this path where he is so violent and just wants to wipe out every single non-sorcerer. It's obvious, I mean, it's very stereotypically cliche, but what happened uh, to get to this point? And I thought that his screen presence was phenomenal. Every time he's on screen, I was always invested in what he was going to do next.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And we get a little bit of hints towards the reason why he is the way he is now with a few of the flashbacks between him and Gojo because him and Gojo were at Jujutsu High together. They were um, second years um, together and they had a deep friendship. And even Gojo says that in the movie that uh, Ghetto is his, is still his only real friend. He's still the only person that fully understands Gojo, like Gojo's like Gojo is the only one that fully understands him. <laughs> Yes. Um, did how
1: so? How do you think that that having uh, you know gauge in this movie really set up for the anime going forward?
0: I know for a fact that if we're adapting the manga as it was written, in the in order that the arcs were written, the first arc for season two will be an arc that is fully about. Um, ghetto and gojo's past friendship and what caused him to become the villain we see in the movie i'm really curious if they're going to answer is how ghetto is still alive because again we see him in the show and he has like the scar on his head right above right below his hairline um from where presumably gojo killed him um and I'm willing to wager that the main villain of the anime's first season, Makito, is the one that actually brought um, Ghetto back to life, I'm initially intending to use him as a pawn before realizing how strong Ghetto actually was. So yeah. I'm very curious. I haven't read far enough into the manga to know what um, how Ghetto's going to be used as a villain and as, um, how they're going to play off of the relationship between him and Gojo going forward, or how he's going to react with the main cast that we have in the show. But I imagine that introducing a character that strong will have big implications. And we've already seen how the show is not like Jujutsu Kaisen is not afraid to shy away from death. And this is probably one of the few shows I've seen where there's a genuine possibility of a main member of the cast. Not like a character, spoiler um, alert for, for Demon's where not like a character like Rengoku, who is only a focus for a story arc and then uh, dies immediately after that. But Jetsu Kaisen's like one of the few shows, like few shonen shows I've seen where they, I could totally see them killing off a main member of the cast. Like um, one of the core members of our main cast without it feeling... Um, unnecessary or over the top like it's feeling natural and and purposeful within the story um, because of how dark the show is willing to be
1: yes and that makes me uh very nervous uh going forward now now when will utah uh appear in the show you think
0: oh man um well currently in the show in season one they wave utah um, off, like they explain him not being there because he's um, currently on the mission away from Japan, dealing with curses. Um, but again, introducing like reintroducing Ghetto into the show would be a perfect reason to reintroduce Yuda because their powers are very similar. Um, I mean, you can see how similar both even just their personalities are. Like if if Ghetto was still like a good guy. You can imagine they would probably still have a lot of the, some like emotional breaks and character like Yuda gets. Like Yuda has some really like straight up horrifying facial expressions during his fight with Ghetto, which I really love. Um, as a lot of people have said on uh, Weatherbox and on Twitter, he reminds me of uh, Shenji from Evangelion. Even just by look he does. Yeah, he, he has big sad boy energy and I love that.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. So, I one thing I really enjoyed, uh, speaking of Yuta, is obviously in any shonen anime, we have the climactic fight, and usually there's some emotional realization or just something that happens, uh, before just the final moment. And I have to say that this movie, like my Hero Academia movies, really delivered on it, where where, where Yuta essentially gave his soul and his life to Rika, uh, the. Uh, the the girl who he cursed and she she essentially is a protector of Yuta of sorts and, and the fact that he gave his life for her like just made him extremely powerful and seeing that animated and seeing that just carried out was breathtaking to say at least. It was great seeing that on a big screen.
0: Yeah, I really liked the twist of Rika becoming a curse because Yuta wanted her to be with with him forever and not the other way around that's really dark um, and really messed up and not something you would typically see with your big shonen protagonist they usually for most shonen anime they usually try to make their protagonist as a as a very morally righteous uplifting character i mean you see this with tanjiro and demon swear or midoriya and my hero academia or goku and dragon ball or um jonathan joestar and jojo's Bizarre adventures you don't you typically don't get a whole lot of characters um that act as a protagonist that have morally uh that have done morally questionable things whether by accident or on purpose and again it's another like um thing that shows just how dark Jutsu Kaisen's willing to go with its characters it doesn't matter who it is it could be our protagonist for for the movie and I will say the protagonist for the show um received some more treatment too although I wouldn't his backstory isn't quite as dark as Yuda's. is.
1: Yeah, no, Yuda's backstory was very sad, to say the least. Especially even the opening scene, where he is bullied and then he kills all of them. Yeah, by accident.
0: Yes. <laughs> because he doesn't know how to control Rika yet, and all she wants to do is protect him.
1: Which I... that begs the, the question, because the bully said that, oh, I want to slug you one more time. How come, How come that he hasn't accidentally killed them
0: before? It's possible i don't know i mean i i like that's gonna be a contrived thing that we're just thinking too much about but um i think it's maybe that there were too many other people around that he didn't want to get hurt by rika and since he was in a room alone with the bullies that might have been the difference there gotcha but that's just how i'm interpreting it um But the only character I think that we haven't talked a whole lot about on his own is Gojo, um, who acts as our mentor figure for the movie. And he is, at this point, I think the most popular character in the series among the fan base. And I wonder if you could uh, understand why just from watching the movie.
1: Yes. No, Gojo is extremely powerful, but he's also a very fun character. He's very, he's very cocky, but he's also very serious. He's, he's someone who is very understanding, but he's also someone who cares. Like he wants the students to have their youth. He wants them to have fun, but he's also willing to protect uh, them as well. He's, he's just the perfect boy. to say the least.
0: Yeah. Cause Yuda is originally brought to Jujutsu, um, high because they, the board members of the school want to kill him because of how strong he is because he's a special grade in the movie which as the movie has stated there is only a four special grade curse users in the entire world and Yuda just happens to be one of them because of Rika because of how powerful Rika is and the fact that she's bonded to him and the school is afraid of what rika could do if he loses control of her and he's brought there because they get executed and gojo's the only reason why that doesn't happen because gojo instead wants to train him and like with uh tomioka and i'm forgetting the the teacher from demon Slayer, but like with them and mezuko gojo is willing to die if rika ever uh if um, Yuta ever loses control of Rika and she kills more people, more innocents.
1: Well, because the big thing about Yuta is that he didn't want to see anyone else get hurt.
0: Yeah, and, and I w- it is important though, that Gojo's protection over his students is something that is a huge part of the show, too. Because Yuta is definitely not the first to get this kind of treatment from the school, nor will he be the last.
1: That's exciting
0: because Gojo definitely has a habit of collecting strays.
1: I assume the main character of the show
0: is like that too. Absolutely. Um, his the way that Itadori and the show is introduced is very similar to the way that Yuta comes to the Justi Tech. That is not to say that uh, the circumstances are completely the same because I don't I don't think Itadori committed any kind of murder. I think he just did something that he really shouldn't have.
1: Probably probably seriously injured somebody.
0: I won't say. <laughs> it's, uh, it's more fun to explore it in the show without me telling you. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Uh, let me just say that it, you probably won't be able to guess what, what it is that he did. Fair enough. But no, the, I, really, I really like this movie. I, is it better than Mugen Train? Probably not, just because of everything that is going on in it, but it's it's really solid. It's better than most shown anime movies, definitely. And it definitely it helps that it's actually tied in with the overarching plot of the show. having in, introducing the series' as, um, overarching villain, giving us a lot of time with the secondary cast and with Gojo and actually exploring their characters and personalities and stuff that will actually go into the writing for the show. And Yuda as a character is one that I assume will get explored in the show later on. So I'm glad that we're getting a lot more anime movies that are actually correlated to the plot of the show and not just these one-off things that uh, won't necessarily come back in in the show. They're like treated as their own self-contained movie. And I'm happy that we're finally getting away from that stuff. Not that it wasn't fun or enjoyable like the My Hero Academia movies are still really nice but there's something special about when um, the movie actually correlates to the plot of the show and impacts it and you are forced to watch it in order to understand what's going to go on in the show.
1: Yeah I do like that you know this allows me to want to watch the show because if if it had nothing to do with the show, I probably wouldn't want to watch the show as much, but because it did, it has a nice lead in. And, and with Demon Slayer, that was a direct continuation, allowing me to be invested in the events and actually be worried about the, what's going on and have actual stakes. So I do agree that it is refreshing that, it, that the movies and the shows do connect very well.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Any final thoughts on Gypsy Kaisen Zero before we move on to our other movie that we're discussing?
1: Uh, Mainly, um, I am interested in checking uh, the show out at some point, and I'm glad glad I uh, checked this movie out, so thank you.
0: Yeah, for anyone that saw the movie that has not seen the show, Jetsu Kaisen is currently available on both HBO Max and Crunchyroll to Watch. I believe all uh, 24 episodes are available, both subbed and dubbed. For the movie, we, of course, watched The Dub, which is um, our personal preferred um, way of Watching, usually, um, with only a couple of exceptions. But no, I thoroughly love the movie. I'm, I really hope that we see more of the in season two, because I really, really like his character. I honestly think that he's a more interesting protagonist than Ida Dori is in the show. I don't know if that's a hot take or not. I guess I'll find out on Twitter later. The other big movie that came out this month that we haven't had a chance to talk about because we've just been so busy is... The Batman. For the last, what, like two and a half years, three years, um we've been hearing news about this. I remember when Robert Pattinson was first cast as the Bat, and a lot of people were crying him as the Twilight Boy, the the sparkly vampire from Twilight. How could he possibly ever play Batman? Now, having seen the movie, I am sure that all of those people feel deeply ashamed of themselves.
1: Yes, um, to say the least, this was well i still am obsessed with the dark knight mainly due to the joker this is the this is essentially the perfect batman movie it has everything uh about about the character that you want to see it has terror you have fear you have detective work you have very high stakes you have you have a shady gotham like almost everything that you would want to see in a batman movie comes to this i love I love the Batman the Animated Series. I, you know, grew up watching it, and I will say that a lot of my favorite episodes in the Batman the Animated Series were not villain, were not like the main villain episodes. It was just episodes where it was, it was just Batman investigating stuff and shenanigans followed from there. This movie was a perfect representation of that, while having uh, the Riddler and Penguin. I loved how the whole movie was essentially just Batman investigating with Commissioner Gordon and having to deal with whatever he finds. Like th- That's essentially the movie in and of itself. And I thought the way it, it was paced and the way it was structured was perfection. I loved every second of it.
0: Absolutely. You mentioned um, Gotham. So I'll talk about that first. My biggest issue with The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises is that Gotham just... Felt like any city with just a little bit of crime going on. Whereas in this movie, they gave Gotham this cyberpunk esque vibe, where you have like uh, all these buildings that that were never finished getting constructed. That's still scaffolding on them because that money was taken and diverted towards the drug trade, or was sent towards other things. And because of how like you can feel how terrible this city is. You see how bad the crime is. How horrible. The people are like people wearing um, clown makeup, beating on the random guy just to show strength and unity. There's common criminals running all over the streets, and it makes perfect sense to begin the movie with a scene of these common criminals seeing the bat symbol in the sky and running scared, frightened because of how terrifying the mere idea of Batman walking out of the alley is to all of them because at the beginning of this movie Batman is fear he um he's terrifying he's a he's a horror monster this is the first time that I've ever actually felt afraid of an iteration of this character
1: yes and his and Robert Pattinson's portrayal of Bruce Wayne makes it even more so because you know, in the Batman the Animated series, uh, you know, Bruce Wayne's a very uh is a Playboy uh billionaire essentially. But in this movie, he is a he looks like an emo teenager. Yeah, uh, he's you know, he's very dark, very brooding, and and him being Bruce Wayne in public, he's still very closed off. He's not very social, he still acts like the Batman a lot, even as Bruce Wayne. And that makes him even more terrifying.
0: Yeah, it's cause. This is only his second year operating as Batman. And all he really thinks that he needs to do is clean up the city acting as Batman. He doesn't see any purpose in his life to be Bruce Wayne. He doesn't see a reason to have an alter ego to act um, in the way that so many people want him to. Like he has all of this power behind him because he's a billionaire um, son of famous parents. Because he supposedly have all this influence and there's all kinds of people like the mayor, uh, mayoral candidate in the movie that wants him to help and actually use um, his influence as Bruce Wayne, not as Batman. But he doesn't really understand what Bruce Wayne can do. He thinks that the only way that he can be useful to Gotham is as Batman,
1: which is far from the case. Because essentially one thing the Riddler uh, who was who was pretty terrifying in his own right, uh basically point out that you know Bruce Wayne is considered the orphan when he was in a mansion, while true orphans and other people on the streets had much more miserable lives and 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 Bruce wasn't really doing anything about it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Bruce acts like he's a titan of the people in this movie, like he's trying to be fear, be terrifying and, and post-stop the criminals but with the way that he acts, acting as a symbol of terror as a symbol of um, vengeance as he calls it and puts it so well wanting revenge on the people that have ruined Gotham it's created criminals like Riddler who see what Batman is doing and want to kind of put that kind of ideal into their own hands. Riddler is manipulating the idea of Batman as vengeance and is seeing him as an accomplice, not as someone trying to stop him. Um, When we finally get that scene um, with them in Arkham together with Batman interrogating Riddler and, and he tells it, and he like thanks him for helping him because he could, there's no way he'd be able to accomplish any of this without the Batman's help because the Riddler is all brains and no brawn and Batman is supplies the physicality, the physical means for him to accomplish all of this.
1: Yeah, which, which, which indicated that he needed to have a change in philosophy, which at the end of the movie, he realized it.
0: Mm-hmm. And Yeah, but that change of philosophy doesn't just come from that immediate realization because. Well, yes, it does freak him out that Riddler thinks that he was his accomplice, it's not until the end of the movie that really sparks that um, conclusion. But there's still a lot of building blocks before that that reach that point. The, the way that the police um, view uh, Batman is a big proponent in this movie. Gordon's really the only one on his side. The rest of the police system views him as a vigilante making their jobs harder mainly because a lot of them are in the pocket of people like Falcone and the Penguin, but he's seen as a vigilante and a monster that has no reason to be operating in Gotham the way he is. He's, they don't view him any better than your common criminal. And then you have people like, I mean, you have someone like Catwoman um, who similarly like the Riddler, views Batman as a symbol of um, dark justice. Um, she thinks that he's much more brutal than he actually is because of all the stories she's heard about. And she, when she warns of his no killing rule, she's actually surprised by it because she expects him to be the type of person that will do anything to get the results he wants. But Bruce actually has lines that he's not willing to cross. I'm glad that
1: as, as dark as this patrol Batman is, they, they are very strict about the no killing rule because that's something that Ben Affleck's interpretation didn't really have. I felt like, the rules were really too loose there. But even as you know, dark and terrifying that Robert Pattinson's is, it still has that line that makes the character still the character.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot of really nice modernization for the character too. Uh, most of his gadgets and stuff are really interesting. And almost all of them both reflect kind of on the idea of Batman as the highly intelligent detective but also reflect how kind of broken his mental state is because the contacts which allow him to record crime scenes and replay them are a really neat piece of technology. But you also have to consider um, how broken he has to be to constantly be replaying and rewatching the scenes of the crimes that he's been to over and over and over again during the day.
1: Yeah. And not to mention uh, the scene where he was watching Catwoman in the bar and she interrupts it because he was pressing her about her relationship with Falcone and he was playing that over and over again that's also equally as depressing
0: yeah and again all the character work in this movie is amazing you mentioned that the ending again with Bruce realizing that he can't be vengeance comes about because the third act um after Ridwer is caught surrounds all the the people that he's um that look up that see riddler as as a hero like so many people view batman as um, willing to die for the riddler's cause willing to go to the ends of the earth for him believing that what riddler is doing is truly righteous and similarly they view batman in the same way i imagine that many like many of them were confused as to why batman was trying to stop them because of how much he was helping riddler inadvertently and then you get him unmasking one of the Redworth goons and the goon and this, this guy tell, just saying, I am vengeance back, repeating his own words back to him. And it's that moment that makes Bruce realize that he can't just be vengeance anymore.
1: I will admit though, that the opening scene where you see Batman just go to town on a group of thugs and he's, and, and he says that line is pretty awesome and a great introduction for the character in the movie.
0: Yeah, it immediately sets up him as the terrifying vigilante, which is why, at the end of the movie, having him realize that he needs to be Batman the hero, not Batman the figure of vengeance, is such a good message. And it's something that I think almost every Batman movie has kind of missed, at least in live action. Because at the end of the day, Bruce needs to be the type of character that um, you could see rescuing a kid and making sure that they're okay. Weaving a bunch of strangers out of the water with a flare, the safety, holding um, a girl's hand as she's carried off by Paramedic. This is the type of... This is the Batman I've wanted my entire life to see in live action. And I cried at the end of this movie because I couldn't believe we were getting that, finally.
1: Yes. Can we talk about how great of a director Matt Reeves is? I gotta say that uh, he... Absolutely nailed this movie. The direction was phenomenal. The, the all the scenes that were crafted were incredible. The action looked amazing. I will admit that my third, so my third favorite film of all time is War of the Planet of the Apes. I think it is. I think it is perfection. The best ending to a trilogy in history, and one of the greatest films ever made. So I was excited for this film when I heard that Matt Reeves was directing it. And he absolutely nailed this. He knows how to make drama epics, like plain and simple. He knows how to make drama ep- epics. Like if you haven't seen War of the Planet of the Apes, please do. It, well, the whole trilogy, the whole whole trilogy is absolutely fantastic. I'm just, I'm just very thankful that Matt Reeves was able to, uh, have, ha- have a film this great. And I gotta say that. Should have seen this coming, considering that Andy Circus was in a Matt Reeves film. I mean, it it clearly works. It, it clearly is a recipe that is a home run.
0: But yeah, Andy Circus really works as this more war torn, um, physically active version of Alfred. That's something that we we got a little bit of that in uh, the Gotham TV series um, on Fox back in the day, but this is the first time that we've really gotten a version of Alfred like this in the movies. And while we don't get very much of him, uh, it's very clear how important Alfred is to Bruce, where he's like actively helping him uh, decode Ridwar's uh, messages. And because of how close Alfred is to Bruce, it's it's what makes Bruce realize that he still cares. He still can feel emotion. Um, He isn't as closed off to the world as he wants to be.
1: Yeah, and it shows how much of a bond they have. I love the conversation they had in the hospital where where Bruce uh, basically tells Alfred about what Falcone told him and how Alfred passionately defended uh, his father. And and then they kind of have a, a moment of acceptance. Like, that, that almost broke me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you also mentioned how good Matt Reeves' direction is. And a lot of the visuals in this movie are due to both him and a cinematographer. Greg Frazier, um, who of course is most well-known um, with working with Matt Reeves with Wet Me In, which was, um, I believe it was his directorial debut, but I could be wrong about that. And the visuals for this film are just absolutely breathtaking. Um, it's wild that this movie had the same budget as movies like Black Widow and Spider-Man No Way Home, because it's very clear that the filmmakers behind it we're given a lot more license and freedom to make an actual movie and not just um, a theme park ride. Like, I'm sorry, but that's, that's like, Mars Scorsese is right at this point. Marvel movies are legitimately just theme park rides. And this is, this felt like an actual cinematic experience. This felt like an actual movie and not just something that can be only re- enjoyed to its maximum potential with an audience.
1: Hold on a sec. I don't know. I don't fully agree with the theme park ride thing. Cause I did th- think there's a I still think there's a lot of substance in those.
0: I don't disagree, but you have to admit that No Way Home doesn't work nearly as well without the audience cheering, watching it the first time in the theaters. A lot of that movie is built on the excitement of seeing it the first time. And while there are themes present in the movie, um that's very clearly not the main focus when it was being made
1: fair point but yes this was a cinematic experience like it you know that that's also one reason why i i i said that dune was my favorite movie of last year because that was a cinematic experience and
0: yeah it was a blockbuster film with a lot of action in it but that still looked beautiful was still it still felt like it had um, a voice to it like you could feel the director behind it
1: yes and like like Dune, i was extremely sucked into batman i i loved i just loved the whole journey and because i love going to the theaters just to forget about everything else in in my in my life um you know just to be sucked into this world for a couple hours and this was a movie that did that And I always appreciate that because it felt like I just went through a whole journey and come out with a new perspective. And I loved that about this film.
0: Having seen a lot of Batman stuff, how would you compare Zoe Kravitz's Catwoman to previous portrayals of the character?
1: Well, I'm not going to lie. I still have not seen Batman returns, but obviously I have seen the dark Knight rises and I have seen uh, the Batman, the animated series. I would say I'll say a couple things. First, I think that Zoe Kravitz's uh portrayal is has the best character representation out of any catwoman I've seen. I think it had the most development. She had the most urgency and agency is what I meant to say and stakes in the film. While the other portrayals are more of the typical, you know, sexy thief role is what is the impression I got in some of the other portrayals I've seen. So this was a more realistic and gritty take on the character. So overall, I think it was the best that I have seen.
0: I would say that this is definitely the best written Catwoman. I don't know if I would say that Zoe Kravitz's performance is better than Michelle Pfeiffer's, but she was definitely given better material to work with than Pfeiffer's Catwoman did. Again, the biggest issue with the Burden films is that they don't really feel like batman they feel like tim Burton doing his own spin on the characters which was fine when they came out but now with so many different versions of the character it was about time we're just different batman stories It was about time that we finally got a version of batman that was willing to walk the line perfectly between silly and serious um like this movie is definitely dark there's a lot of terrible things that happen in this there's a lot of death and and horror imagery in this movie but there's also uh, a lot of comical moments like they still keep a lot of of Ridworth's so we gag humor from the comics in the film just with a, a little bit of a dark humor tryst on some of it you still have characters like uh, Colin Farrell's Penguin which are completely comedic really uh, you still have these really blunt humorous moments with uh, Robert Pattinson's Batman and with Jim Gordon and with Um, Alfred so it's not like the movie is completely humorless as a lot of people have said such it's honestly funnier than a lot of other superhero movies I've seen that's because the humor is timed well it's not just consistent quips the humor fits the personalities of the characters and they all just mesh and feel samey like they do in so many other um, superhero movies that we've gotten over the last few years
1: So this has, been a interest, this has been an interesting year for Jeffrey Wright. He was the watcher in What If, uh, for, arguably the best part of that show. And now we see him as Commissioner Gordon. What do you think of that?
0: Wright's Commissioner Gordon might be my favorite version of this character. And a lot of that has to do with the amount of focus that his friendship with Batman gets in this movie. Um, this movie very much focuses on the idea of uh, how how Batman interacts with other characters. I mean, it's really interesting um, seeing that wine that Penguin has um, from the trailer, talking about um, Batman being uh, being a great duo of another character. And initially, we assume that that's Catwoman. But then in the movie, when that wine is actually said to uh, Batman and Gordon. Uh, It's really nice to see their um, friendship get so much focus. Not that they didn't work really well together in the Dark Knight trilogy, but um, we didn't really get a whole lot of bonding time between them there. Um, We didn't get a whole lot of time with Gordon um, doing his best to try to understand the Bat. A lot of the Dark Knight trilogy was spent with Gordon just trying to work with Batman, but not, a whole lot of time questioning whether or not he's doing the right thing i really like that i idea being touched on in this movie
1: well i'll kind of throw this back at you i think that gary oldman's portrayal uh was acted the best just because i think that gary oldman put a lot of uh, emotion and a lot of urgency into the character and i thought that
0: what he do was you mean by urgency
1: um, he, he perfectly, you know, his you could tell like what was going on just by Gordon's emotional state and, and and just and the facial reactions of Oldman as well. I think that Jeffrey Wright's is the best written, but I think Oldman had more range and was acted better.
0: Yeah, the be fair, he ought we're also basing this off of Gary Oldman having three movies while Wright has only had one as the character, so. Who knows if that could change um, with, presumably, considering how well the movie is doing in theaters, I imagine we're getting a lot of sequels. <laughs> please,
1: g- just give me more of these, please. Like, more crime noir Batman films with Robert Pattinson. Like, I'm more than down for that.
0: Yeah. And, again, I think Pattinson's version of Batman is perfect. Again, he, he represents um, this dark hero, um, which is a type of character that Batman has always been. Um, he's, he's a very compassionate character, as we see at the ending, being very open and kind and finally, be, finally showing emotion and showing that he cares um, for the average person and the well-being of Gotham. Um, and this iteration of the character has, again, like a perfect balance between serious and silly. So they literally could go almost anywhere with him, unlike with the Dark Knight trilogy, where... Um, certain Batman villains would have been weird to see because, with how grounded those movies were, um, with how realistic they tried to make the the world of the Dark Knight trilogy, it would be weird to see a villain like Mister Freeze or Poison Ivy or Kite Man, um, or um, or a fully realistic version of Two Face or a more um, comedic, jokey version of the Joker with like actual like actually having like a gun that goes that has a bang flag at the end of it. But I could totally see all of those things working with Pattinson's version of Batman. And that's awesome. I don't think we've ever had that in live action before. Like this is the first Batman since Adam West's that I could see having a Robin next to him.
1: Agreed. Um, what, And what do you think, what did you think of the Joker tease at the end?
0: I'm very mixed on it. I don't like the idea that this version of Batman has faced another costume freak before Riddler. I would have liked, I would have liked this more if Riddler was the first real villain that Batman ever had to face. Um, I get what they're going for with the scene of like showing, they're showing that Wordworth's going to come back in some capacity and that there exists a version of the Joker in this universe. And like, ultimately I'm fine on it, but I feel like I would have liked the movie more if that wasn't there. <laughs> just because we've had enough of the Joker. Like, I like the Joker a lot, but whether it be in um in the films or in the comics, he's just been used way too much. And I'd much rather see any other Batman villain.
1: If we could if we could get a Batman, the animated series style, Mr. Freeze, that'd be awesome.
0: Yes. My what I the only reason I'm okay with the Joker appearing at all in this movie is that it means that we could at some point get an adaptation of the war on Jokes and Riddles, which is a territory war between the Joker and the Riddler that happened in the comics a few years back. Um, that's the only reason why I'm like remotely okay with it. (laughs) Um, but with what I, I honestly, they could go anywhere with a sequel. I could probably be fine. Um, the things I would most really want to see are again, either a Mr. Freeze movie. That'd be super awesome. Um, or a poison Ivy one, because I think that when most movie watchers, Think of when they think of both Mr. Freeze and Poison Ivy as Batman and Robin. And that is extremely unfortunate um, because while that movie is certainly enjoyable, um, Mr. Freeze and Poison Ivy don't really feel like the characters that I like from the comics. They definitely feel like cheesy 60s versions of themselves, which work, but it's about time that we got a, a more I shouldn't say modern take, but a more recent take, I like a newer take than um, the more cheesy, well-known version of those characters from the 60s. I'd like, I would love for a darker uh, Mr. Freeze movie because we know that um, Matt Reeves can handle a darker tone with this film. And I feel like a Mr. Freeze, Mr. Freeze being the villain for a sequel would work really well. Um the other thing I really want is I would love for them to introduce Dick Grayson in the next movie. We've gotten a movie with just solely Batman, with him learning how to be compassionate, with him learning how to be a hero, and now would be the perfect time to introduce Robin in my opinion.
1: Well, you've already said everything that I've wanted in the sequel, but one thing I'll just expand upon is Mr. Freeze is arguably one of the best Batman villains uh, if you, if Anyone who hasn't seen Batman, uh, Sub Zero, that is an incredible movie about
0: Mister Freeze. Yeah, yeah. It's I've been, seen his origin story in the show first, but yes,
1: yes, and yeah. The, the Heart of Ice episode in the show is one of the best of the whole show, and I think that seeing that in live action would, you know, it would it would make an understandable villain too, because Mister Freeze is doing all this because he's trying to save his wife. Yeah. And having that conflict would be awesome. But yes, I would also like to see a Dick and whoever would be cast as that.
0: Well, I don't know if I, as much as I love seeing Nightwing, there's, I don't know how many movies we're going to get. And honestly, if we have to get a version of Robin with this take on Batman, I would love to see Tim Drake. I because with with, with the focus on detective work that this, version of Batman has Tim Drake would be the perfect Robin if they're only going to introduce one that's fair Um, as much as I'd love to see a version of Nightwing at some point I mean we are I think that we're getting a version of Nightwing in the the live action Batgirl movie but I I would love to see a a version of Dick Grayson alongside Robert Pattinson's Batman but if we're only going to get a single Robin I feel like Tim Drake would be the way to go agreed but uh any final thoughts on uh the batman before we wrap up the discussion sean
1: really enjoyed uh really enjoyed this film uh it was was just a great batman movie i want to see more matt reeves is easily one of the best directors in hollywood he proved it after this and yeah what a insane last few years for robert pattinson he did uh lighthouse he did uh tenet uh, was the best part of uh, the Devil All the Time? <laughs> Jeez, that movie. But yes, uh, Ralph Pattinson is really ascending into elite tier of Hollywood actors, and it's something you love to see after, let's just say, a shaky start to his career.
0: I mean, like it's funny because like even this performance in Twilight is surprisingly solid. <laughs> it's just that the material he's given isn't the greatest. <laughs> I will agree with that. Like I would, I would argue that most of the cast for Twilight were hit by either bad direction or bad writing. Because like even Kristen Stewart is a really, really good actress. She just wasn't really directed all that well in the movie. But it's awesome seeing like both Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart have this huge rise in um, in their careers over the last few years, just by getting really good roles and being smart with. Um, the movies that they're taking. We're not getting a, a situation like um, with someone like J. Michael Tatum, or not J. Michael Tatum, Channing Tatum, I think it would be a voice actor, not the actual actor. We're not getting a situation like Channing Tatum or Robert Downey Jr. where they've been picking, where they're like good, solid actors that are just not picking the right movies.
1: It is good to see, I will agree.
0: But no, that'll do it for this week's episode of Nerds Explosion. Sean, do you have anything coming up on the site this coming week?
1: Um right now. Um the the main the main thing is I have basically one more month left of school. So that will basically become my uh focus uh, over the next month. But I'm still gonna have uh F1 coverage. That's uh the, the main thing for the site that I'll be emphasizing right now as I get through the final semester, but possibly have some uh march madness content down the road so look forward to that
0: awesome of course for me i'll naturally have a review up for jutsu kaisen zero within the next couple days um other than that um i don't know what else i currently have planned i know that i have a comic book review to do for one of steve orlando's most recent um new series that he's doing for marvel he's the current writer on marauders which i'm really excited to check out um, since the X Men books and Marvel's been putting out for the last few years have been excellent. Um, so, hopefully, I'll have a review out for that soon. Um, I'm also planning on doing a full uh, analysis or breakdown article on By the Horns now that the trade paperback is releasing and a certain someone is featured on the back cover of it. Um, I am more than happy to do a full on article talking about how good the comic is because. It is really good, and I have had the pleasure of doing every single issue of it so far. And especially with um, the second half of the series um, um, finally hitting shelves in May, I can't wait to, to finally start reviewing the comic again. So, and I might have a little bit more than that in store for fans of the comic as well in the future. So stay tuned for that. Um, but That's all we have for you guys this week. So thank you all for listening and have a great rest of your day.